Power Users, Episode 220, Yosemite. Welcome back to another episode of the Mac Power Users Podcast. I'm Katie Floyd alongside David Sparks. Hey, David. Hi, Katie Floyd. How are you today? Here we are. Another operating system. I know. I was. Uh, we were talking about before the show. This this is a show about Yosemite, by the way. Uh, we were right. talking about before. Should we do a show on getting ready for? And I made the comment to Katie. I said, I feel like we've done that a million times. People well, have. Let's see. We did re- getting that. ready for lion. Getting ready for mountain lion. Getting ready for leopard. Getting ready for snow leopard. No, I, I don't, don't think we did I, all those. No, I think the last time we I went and looked it up. The last time we did a getting ready for in Mac OS was episode fifty two. Uh, preparing for lion and that and now we are on 220 so so maybe we uh, should i guess we should have done it well we're going to cover it briefly but if you go back to episode 52 a lot of that stuff is still good yeah but anyway that so just, we're here- that just basically walks people through the if you're well a lot of that's still good but a lot of that walks people through the if you're going to do the nuke and pave route if you're going to do the upgrade and install route a lot of that with the mac app store now is pretty darn easy yeah, yeah, it's, it's just easier than it used to be, and maybe that's why we haven't been inclined to do a full show on it. But uh, we're here to talk about the latest iteration of the Mac OS operating system, and it's called Yosemite OS 10 10.10. Everybody always wondered what would happen when they got to the number 10. I never really had any doubt in my mind that they would they just, just continue. Kept going. Yeah, I mean, OS 10's got a nice ring to it. Um, you're not supposed to call it OS X, by the way. If you're out there listening, you see it written OS X. That's you're supposed to say the word ten. That that's one way to to prove what a nerd you are. If you know the difference. And and we're also apparently not to say Mac OS ten anymore. Yeah, it's just OS ten, right? right? Yeah. Yes. And which was really hard because for so many years I wrote books and Apple's got very specific naming conventions, and it was just I drilled it into my mind so hard that I always have to say Mac OS ten that I. I have a hard time not saying that at this. I, I'm probably going to say it many times throughout the show, but I guess the idea is there's iOS, which is the the mobile operating system. And then there's OS 10, which is the Mac operating system. And then I guess they're calling it the watch iOS yeah. or watch OS. I think they're calling it watch OS for the Apple watch. What are we going to do in two years when iOS gets to version 10? I hope they stay there, and then it just gets more confusing. <laughs> just every year after that, a point release, a major release under a point heading. It would be kind of weird when the iOS is a higher number than the macOS. That's just wrong. It's like, so iOS 12, but we're only still on OS 10. <laughs> All right, well, enough of the nomenclature, as they say. Uh, let's jump into Yosemite. Um uh, the show is going to talk about getting ready for it and a lot of the new features and ideas that, that you're going to find with it, how you can take advantage of that stuff. And at the end, we're going to have our hip, our hippie talk about just the, the nature of these yearly updates and what our thoughts and concerns are about them. Yeah. And I feel like we should say right off the bat, Apple has a special event scheduled for October 16th. We are actually recording this show, of course, before that. So it, David, do you think it's possible? They're not going to pull a rabbit out of their hat with anything related to Yosemite. I mean, we've got the Golden Master candidate number three now, right? I mean, nothing's going to change. I think it's going to come out right away, and I think you're going to be in great shape. Um, and if they do pull a rabbit out of their hat, you're never going to hear this part of the recording because Katie and I are going to get on the mic and fix it. 
<laughs> We're going to get on the mic Friday night and just fix it all. There you go. Yeah, ex- I'm serious. <laughs> so, okay, I'll, so I'll, this, this, I'll hold my Friday night just in case. We'll, we'll have to. I mean, we got to deliver the goods. Yeah. Uh, but let's start with uh, with just getting ready for Yosemite. And this isn't going to be a long section of our outline because we have covered it before. And I think a lot of the stuff our, our listeners are already aware of. Um, I did say MPU 52 preparing for lines the last time we gave this, you know, the, the thorough Mac power user hour and a half treatment, if you want to go back and listen to it. Um, but, you know, the, the one thing, if there's one thing you're going to do before you do a major operating system update, it's get yourself an external hard drive and get um, carbon copy cloner or super duper. Either one of those two is fine. And and mirror your drive, you know, get a, a mirror copy of all your data on that external drive. Would you agree? I, I would say you should probably do that not once, but at least twice and, and have multiple backups of your drive. And we've done many, many shows on backups. But I always like, you call it the drawer backup. I call it the shelf backup. Anytime there's a major, major update or a major change, like when we're doing a new operating system, I like to have the clone backup that I do immediately before. But, you know, then I'm going to do another clone probably another day or another two to three days later, just in my normal backup process. I like to have that fresh clone of my system right before the update that I can stick on a shelf for mm, maybe a month or two just in case I find things after the fact, because it may take you a while to find something that doesn't quite work right or a problem. Yeah. So uh, I, when you say two backups, you're referring to everybody should have a backup system that's always right. backing up their system. And this other backup, the drawer backup is the one that falls outside of the normal rotation. It's it's a super special backup you're making just because you're about to upgrade your operating system and you never know if things are going to go wonky. So you do that. And like Katie says, you put it in a drawer and I, I would even say for a couple months. And uh, there's a couple of reasons for this backup. The, you know, the, the first obvious reasons if is what if smoke starts coming out of your computer halfway you know, through the operating system update? I don't probably think that's probably not going to happen. Exactly. I don't think that's much less likely to happen now than it was probably when we recorded episode 52. It seems like Apple's got really good at making these updates. In fact, they've got so good at it that it's very hard for people to even understand how to do what we call a nuke and pave install these days. I mean, it used to be when you put the install disk, it asked you if you wanted to start afresh or if you wanted to upgrade the existing operating system. And that was a a menu option that anybody could select, and it was very clear to them. Uh, two or three releases ago, they took that menu option away. And my guess is a lot of people out there didn't know any better and pushed the wrong button and erased all their data as Oops. a part of the backup. So um, so what you do now, if you want to do a nuke and pave, if you want to say, okay, new operating system, I'm starting from scratch, which is, a, you know, which is not really necessarily a bad idea with the way things are these days. It's so much easier to get your data restored with cloud storage and the app store and everything. But if you want to do that, it's not obvious how you do it. When you, when you load up the new operating system, it gives you a little menu screen and you've got a couple applications available to you. I believe there's a stripped down version of Safari. I think if you need to get some information and the disk utility application is available. So you could go into disk utility and you could wipe out your hard drive in there. You could delete it. I guess I shouldn't use the word wipe out, but you could delete all your data off your, your main drive, your Macintosh HD, and then go install the operating system. And you're going to have essentially a nuke and pave at that point. But you've got to actually open disk utility to make that happen. If you just follow the dialog boxes, you're never going to get there. Right. And I actually, 
I detailed this out on my blog pretty recently. I did it for a Screencast Online article in the monthly magazine that I write for Dawn. Uh, you write for Dawn as well in that art magazine. But I actually would recommend if you're going to do the nuke and pave option, upgrade to, you know, do all of your backups and do all of that. Upgrade to Yosemite first and then immediately go back and nuke and pave because what it's going to do is is after you completely erase your Mac and you have nothing on it and you either um, reboot from the recovery partition or you decide to go out and figure out how to make a boot installer, you can either make a boot installer from Yosemite and there's some links on how you can do that. Um, or when you go to um, re-download the operating system from the cloud from Apple, when you're doing this on a fresh, clean Mac that doesn't have an OS installed, it's going to let you reinstall the last operating system that you're authorized to install, which if you haven't, all, even though Yosemite is free, I believe if you haven't already downloaded and installed it, it's not going to offer it to you. It's only going to give you Mavericks. Yeah, and I would add to that that you should have a really good reason for wanting to do a nuke and pave in 2014. Uh, as an example, when Mavericks came out, I was actually having a few problems with my Mac. I had, you know, I run a lot of beta software, so once in a while things get corrupt, and I thought, you know, I'm just going to go ahead and install Mavericks and do it as an update or, you know, an upgrade to the operating system, not do the nuke and pave and just see if that sorts things out. Because I thought there was a real legitimate chance that that would have fixed whatever problems I had and I wouldn't have to bother with it. But two or three months into Mavericks, I was still having those problems and I, I did a nuke and pave then. So, you know, if you've really got a problem, that makes sense. But uh, you don't have to do that when you do an upgrade to your system. And maybe you're just adding a lot of extra work to your life. So, uh, I would recommend go ahead, upgrade the system as is. Don't, you know, erase your hard drive first and just see how things work out. And if you're still having a big problem, you can always, you know, do that nuke and pave. Yeah, I have to admit, a, a part of me kind of enjoys that, you know, just starting mm -hmm. a computer from scratch and, you know, uh, you know, put it on the kitchen table, put on a baseball game or a good movie and just kind of let it do its thing. And it's always fun seeing how much extra hard drive space you have and, and then, of course, over the course of two or three months after that, I ritually fill it up again. Well, I did that not too long ago. I did it a couple of months ago, which was what prompted me to write that article for Don. And I'll tell you, in the age now of automatic restore, in the age of iCloud, Dropbox, Transporter, all of these sync services, a nuke and pave is not what a nuke and pave used to. I mean, it, it used to be that it would take you pretty much a day to get back up and running and, you know, probably the better part of a weekend and you'd still be finding things week later. And you're right now, you can do it in the span of a movie or a baseball game. Usually the, um, a couple gotchas through that process. Uh, one other, you know, I talked about earlier, you, you know, the drive in the drawer is there in case the computer smokes. That's not the only reason it's there because sometimes data gets lost in the shuffle. And while having uh, backup systems and cloud data uh, are great, there's there are some applications and data sets that, in my experience, often get lost in the trans in the transition. Uh, there are so certain software applications with limited licenses, like the Adobe products. A lot of them, although now they're on subscription, but if you've got a more legacy Adobe product, you know that license key is attached to the computer, and sometimes when you upgrade the operating system, it, it loses track. Yeah, there's an activation and deactivation process that you have to go through. Yeah, and then iTunes is another one. You know, you've got a limited number of devices, and there's a limited number of times you can reset those devices in any one year. So that's another thing you want to be wary of. So you, you keep that information. And then um, the, 
the stuff that's always bit me is the system support files. Like Hazel is an application we talk about often. By default, it stores its rule sets in the, I believe, the application support file for Hazel, which is a place people don't usually go. And if you do a, a clean install or you have a to reset your computer and you don't think about it, your Hazel rules will be gone. And I don't know about you, but I've spent uh, way too much time building that Hazel rule set to, to have to start again from scratch. So, you know, having that mirrored drive in the drawer, you can go find those rule sets if you lose them. Apple scripts are another one. A way I've solved this problem over the last few years is I have a folder on my, um, actually I have it in two places. I have it on my transporter and my Dropbox, and it's just called templates and data sets. And in it, I've got like, iWork templates, even though iWork will save your templates, I still save them to this uh, cloud storage drive. Um, I'll put copies of my Hazel rule data sets, my Dragon Dictate profile, just a whole bunch of stuff that doesn't necessarily make the transition easily. And I just put it in my cloud storage. And that way I've always got those things there. That's a really good idea. I just, I'm creating an OmniFocus task right now to, to set that up. You should do a blog post or something about that, detailing what you put in there. Another one is Apple scripts. You know, I collect all these Apple scripts. Some of them I write, some of them I get from other people. And it's always a big pain resetting those if, you're, if you've got a nuke and pave situation. So save all your Apple scripts to that folder too. Um, well, and uh, there, so, even if you don't do a complete erase of your drive, especially with Yosemite, there can still be a couple of gotchas, particularly if you update maybe one of your machines, but not all of your devices. Yeah. Uh, so the big one that I'm thinking about here being iCloud Drive, which I know we'll talk about a lot more later. But yeah, in fact, that that's a point to make here as later. Um, uh, before you do the update, you know, find the local copy of your data from from iCloud. And in Mavericks, it's not as easy as it is going to be in Yosemite. But there is there is a directory. I don't remember the exact path to it. I have to look it up every time. Um, we'll put a, a link into the show notes as to how to find it or where it's at. But it's it's kind of buried on your system, but there is a local copy of all your iCloud documents. Make a copy of that stuff before you push the big red button, because uh, this is not completely proven technology. And I think having a backup of that stuff is a really good idea. And by backup, I mean, you have a copy of it outside its root directory and put it in your transporter slash Dropbox slash external drive slash wherever you put this extra stuff. With me? Yeah, that's a really okay. good idea. Okay. Um, let's uh, let's talk about an advertiser, and then let's get into some of the goodness that is Yosemite. Okay. And I would like to start with our friends at lynda.com. L-Y-N-D-A dot com. Lynda is the easy and affordable way to help individuals learn. You can instantly stream thousands of courses created by experts on business, software, web development, graphic design, and more. I was telling you before the show started that Lynda has become a family thing at the Sparks house. I mean, we are all using my Lynda account. And I, you know, how sometimes you have a limit on the number of uh, people that can be watching Netflix at once. I think it's two in the household. I am running into the same problem with Linda because my wife is watching them. My daughter's watching the video once we're all, you know, we're all just having a great time learning stuff. And I think it's really a good use of time. So Linda.com probably upgrade then. I, maybe I should, I don't know. And that's another one, you know, how we advertise, they're an advertiser and I could probably get a free account, but I've been paying for it for so long and I, I get so much out of it. I've never had the guts to ask for a free account because 
this isn't something I'm just sampling as a you as a um, podcaster. I I use this thing all the time. It's great. So so it worked. They work directly with industry experts and software companies to provide timely training, and often they release the software the same day as new releases hit the market. And all the courses are produced by high quality hosts. They're not like the homemade videos on YouTube They're And they're broken into little pieces, which is great because you can go at your own pace. If there's something that you get hung up on, like I'm going through the JavaScript one right now, and there's a part of it that I just not, it's not computing for me. So I've watched it like four times, finally got it. And then I could move on. Um, so you can learn from start to finish or just get a quick answer, depending on where you want to go. And you can jump in and they even have little transcripts there that follow along. So you can search the transcript to find exactly what you're looking for. Uh, they have a playlist on the website, which I'm going to talk about in a minute. My playlist is always in motion. And uh, whether you're beginner or advanced, Linda's got a course that's going to help you. Uh, so you go to lynda.com and they've got, also got apps for the iPhone, iPad and I, Android. And all of this just costs $25 a month and you get unlimited access to all of these video tutorials. If you're a premium member with an annual plan, you can also download courses to the iPhone and iPad or your Android and watch them offline which, as I've said before, is a great idea if you're going to be offline a lot. Um, if you're a traveler, I think that'd be a great way to spend your time on an airplane. Uh, the premium plan members can also download project files and practice along with the instructor. And the instructors are fantastic. In fact, a lot of our um, guests over the years have, are Linda uh, instructors like Chris Breen, uh, Derek Story, and some of the other folks that have been on the show in the past. David Allen. David Allen, that's right. Uh, for And by the way, everybody, thanks for all the great feedback on David's show. That was really fun. Um, so so whatever software you rely on, if you go to lynda.com, L-Y-N-D-A.com, you're going to find out um, what they can do for you. Uh, if I, before the show started, I went and looked at my queue, which is, like I said, always in motion. Um, there's some really good stuff in here I'm getting ready to, to watch. Uh, using regular expressions, I'm going through that again because as all these text tools are developing, I want to use them more often. And I've got a, a new course I'm going to watch on music production with mics and MIDI because my daughter is doing more and more singing, and I want to start doing some accompaniment for her. So I'm learning that. And... Um, there's also an iMovie 11 essential training, which I'm kind of interested in. So there's a lot of good stuff out there. Uh, if you go to lynda.com, you can see for yourself. Um, if you go there, you can also get a free seven-day trial. And to get that, you want to go to lynda.com slash MacPowerUsers to try lynda.com free for seven days. Um, that's not a limited offer. You can try whatever you want. You can explore the catalog. You can fill your queue. You could just sit there for seven straight days and do nothing but eat Doritos, you know, drink Coca-Cola and learn. And that's okay. But I bet you're going to want to subscribe. And if you do go to lynda.com slash Mac power users and use the Mac power users discount code and let them know you heard about it from us. Thanks, Linda. All right. Well, let's talk about this new user interface with Yosemite because it's pretty fancy. It's a, it's a change, but yet it's, it's a familiar change. Yeah, it's flatter, but not too flat. That's what I said in the outline. I mean, we everybody kind of knew that last year iOS got you know the 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 uh, the overhaul with the look and feel, and even back then people were saying, "Well, next year it'll be the Mac OS." Oopsie, I did it. It'll be the OS ten, 
And uh, they did it this year. I was a little worried that they would go overboard that, you know, like one of the big questions a lot of us were asking is when you have windows floating, you know, one of the nice things about OS 10 is it clearly puts one in front of the other. Because on, on iOS, you don't have the situation where you have windows overlapping one another. So you don't have to think about this, but on a computer screen, you do like, were they going to make it so flat that you, the windows would, would like merge and you wouldn't be able to tell which one was on top. They didn't do that. Yeah. They still have a little shadow. You can get away with it, but they did make a lot of changes. I mean, it, it definitely has kind of a new feel to it. I think that's the biggest change. Well, what, since, uh, OS 10, 10.3. It's a, it's a pretty big change. Um, there's the skeuomorphism for the skeuomorphism. I can never say that word. Yeah. Yeah. But that thing, there, it's, it's for the most part, it's gone. Um, I haven't been into Game Center. I don't do that kind of thing, but I don't know. Is the, is the green felt still there? Wow, that sounded, that sounded kind of judgmental. No, I just don't play games. So I don't, I don't go into Game Center. I don't do that. I don't, I don't do, do that. that. <laughs> I, I tell you, um, the one thing that kind of does freak me out a little bit about Yosemite, can you guess what, what it is? It's the, the font. Fin- the finder icon freaks me out. Oh really? It it scares me a little bit. It's kind of like a freaky clown. I don't think it looks that bad. No, it just makes me a little bit nervous. Okay. <laughs> so I, I keep my dock hidden so it can't uh, so I can't see it. But uh, you're gonna like wake up screaming, seeing it chase you down a hallway. <laughs> yeah, here it comes. It's got its, its grown legs and little arms, and it's running I, after me. I mean, I I've never really appreciated the Finder icon. I know that there's kind of like a whole story behind it and the two faces and all that but i i, it, there's, there's I don't just feel strongly about, about it, now. it it's a little bef- it's, it's a little bit cartoony and a little bit clowny now yeah okay well like even the that's a good example though even the icons are a little bit less um they, they're a little simpler now a little flatter but they're they're brighter i i, I don't really have a big problem with the icons but they definitely are, are simpler right now Big change is the font. Yeah. How, now you have seen Yosemite both on a Retina screen and on a non-Retina screen. I presume. I presume that's true. I presume you're running it on on both your uh, MacBook Pro with the Retina display as well as um, your non-Retina Macs. Yeah. Well, I I don't my my only Mac is Retina, but um, the the iMac we did load it up just to kind of see how it looks. And, you know, this Helvetica Nue, I've heard it pronounced so many different ways, but I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, it looks fantastic on a retina screen. And it it doesn't look that great on a non-retina screen, in my opinion. Well, forgive me, but as someone who's never had a retina screen before, obviously I don't know what I'm missing. I don't think it yeah. looks bad. I don't think it looks bad. Um, well, it's a little it's a little thinner than the prior font. Right. And as a result, I think on a screen that's got bigger pixels, you can run into some issues. But, man, it looks really great. You can tell that they were probably waiting until they had enough retina screens out there. And the, and a, the big rumor is that they're going to have a retina iMac, too. I don't know if we'll see that you know between now and the time the show airs or not. But that would make sense. So I, I'm fine with the font choice now. I, I don't yet have much of a problem being able to read fonts on the screen. Although if 
you know, if you have a little bit older eyes or if you're a little more prone to that, that could be an issue as well. I don't, I think this font looks really good on a high DPI screen. I think it looks better than the prior typography and it's a nice modernization. I guess if there was a word I would apply to Yosemite versus prior uh, versions of OS 10, it would be cleaner. So everything is a little cleaner. Like when we you know, that's, about, that's funny. That's the exact word that I was thinking I was going to use if you didn't use it. Yeah, and like when I was talking about the icons, it's not that they're just cleaner. Everything they've they've made a little bit cleaner, and and it's nice. And they they've added translucency, which is a new thing. And translucency has been somewhat controversial in the past on Mac OS ten. On OS ten, I think I think it's fair to say it's controversial still. Yeah, but. When it first came out, it was just in the menu bar, and a lot of people went a little crazy about it. They even added a setting so you could make it no longer translucent. And now it's it's grown. It's in the uh, like in the left pane selection screen on certain apps, and that's the the basic. In fact, you can tell with your apps after you uh, get it which ones are using the basic uh, Apple. API for that window, because if they do, it's going to automatically be translucent. Even in the earlier betas, I was seeing it in applications that I knew weren't, you know, quote unquote, Yosemite ready, but they were using the basic API. So it just treated it that way. Uh, that doesn't bother me that much. The translucency isn't so translucent that it's distracting. What do you, what's your impression of that? I know you've been using the beta. I think they have toned down the translucency some as we've gone further in the betas, and I think they've probably about got it right. Um, previously, the translucency didn't really respect layering, if that makes sense. So, for example, if you if you opened a Finder window, and let's say you had three levels of windows behind it, let's say you had a, a web browser window and your mail.app window and the Finder window was on top of that, the um, far left pane of that finder window would still be just as translucent and show your desktop background, despite the fact that it's now on top of, you know, two other layers of stuff. Yeah. So uh, what's your verdict on it? Are, are you going to keep it? I mean, is it something yeah. you want to get rid of? Or? Yeah, no, I was going to say it still does that now, but they've toned it down quite a bit. So if that finder window is now on top of another window the translucency is you can still see a very small hint of it, but it's, it's definitely toned down. So I like it. What do you think? In fact, let me back up a little bit. We didn't say at the beginning of the show that both of us have been running this beta for some time. How long have you been running it? Mm, about a month. And Not I, as I'm, long as you have. I've been in two or three months at this point. I, I came in pretty early. In fact, I, what I did was I loaded it up on that iMac first and once I was assured that Dragon Dictate and and OmniFocus and like the apps that I need and were all working, I'm like, okay, well then I'll just go for it, and I jumped in. Uh, but so we've both been using it quite a while, and uh, to me, the the new look, I'm very comfortable with it now. It, it took almost no time for me to kind of adopt it and and like it. To the extent that now, when I look at my wife's computer running Mavericks, it looks kind of antiquated to me. Right. But I will I will say that I have been running Yosemite. Well, I've been running it out in the wild, which which is allowed because it's a public beta now. And in I'm thinking in particularly I've been I've been running it on my MacBook Air that I've been taking to class. And I have not had a single person stop me and say, whoa, what is that you're running? You know, so it's not 
it's not so foreign that it's unrecognizable to people. Yeah, but how many people actually look that closely at your operating system? I don't know. Everybody who's copying off my papers. Okay. It's like the whole class, man. I, I think that, you know, our group, you know, the people that listen to our show and you and me yeah. would totally be looking at operating systems. And Maybe that's would, just me. Maybe that's, that's just an me. amazing font you have there. But I think a lot of people wouldn't even know. I don't know. I, ha- I happen to sit in a cluster of, of Mac users and I just kind of, I, I was kind of expecting well, one of these people is going to notice that I'm running the beta operating system and say something to me about it. Nobody. Yeah. So maybe my uh, expectations were too high. Another feature that is across the board with Yosemite is the the use of the toolbars have been minimized. Uh, you know, the toolbars used to be a, a bit wider than they are now. And, and to a lot of extent, they, they've tried to make them narrower. They've tried to compress the amount of information and icons into just one line across where before it was two or three lines of icons. And I, I'm in general happy with that. I think that having the space on the screen for the stuff I'm working on and not the toolbar is fine, so long as it doesn't become unwieldy or harder to use. Um, and in some cases, that can be, you know, I think there's just a line to be drawn there. But in general, I think they've done it with taste. Yeah. And we'll talk a little bit about maybe where they went a little too far with Safari and how you can get some of that back. Yeah. And one of the things I do like is uh, they fixed up the red, yellow, green buttons. You know, that that's I was always... never I was never clear on what the green button did. Well, it it was a maximize button, but the behavior of the application would vary by application. And so yeah, let's let's go back a little bit. So it used to be when you had a Mac, there was the red, yellow, green button. I think that goes back to the very first iteration of OS ten. And and the green button the yellow button always minimized, the red button always closed, the green button did something and it would usually maximize it to the maximum screen resolution that they thought that application should have. So it wouldn't necessarily fill your entire screen, but with some apps it would and some apps it wouldn't. So this was all really confusing. And then to further complicate matters with the release of, I believe it was mountain lion or lion. They have the full screen option now where you tap a set of arrows pointing away from each other diagonally on the far right side of your toolbar and it would fill the screen. It would take the menu bar off of your screen and give you a full screen app. Uh, by the way, I, I use that all the time, Katie, all the time. Yeah, uh, I so, use it that much. Uh, even with the 15 inch MacBook pro at any one time, I've got probably seven or eight screens. Like right now I'm looking at my computer. I've got three full screen word documents, OmniFocus numbers, um, right. I've got a whole bunch of, I haven't used it with the finder because I find it so easy to just flip four fingers up on the trackpad and have those available and just tap the one I want to jump to. That's much faster than trying to, you know, navigate between windows on a single screen or anyway, it's, I think that's kind of a little bit of a tangent, but uh, so with Yosemite, they finally brought sanity to this whole process. Now the red button still does the same. It closes yellow minimizes and green makes it full screen and the random maximize function is gone. I think this was a good thing. All right. Uh, if you do want, let me let me just finish up. I have two points to add to that. If you do want the old fashioned fill up the screen but keep the menu bar, you can get an app like Moom M O O M that will when you when you hold over the green button, it'll give you that option rather than just do the full screen. And here's one little tip. I'm not sure that we've ever said this on the show, but it's something I use all the time 
every day. And it's the little red button save trick. Are you familiar with that? I am. So if you're, if you've got a document open, whatever application you're in, you know, and you hover over the red close button in the menu bar, uh, it's usually an X and, and that's fine. But sometimes you'll hover over and it's a little circle. It's a little black filled in circle. And the difference between that is whether or not the document has been saved. So if you hover over that and it's a, it's a black circle instead of an X, hit command S to save it. And I know with autosave, that's not supposed to be a problem, but you know what? There's still apps that that can be a problem. And it's a great way to make sure you save something before you close things up. All right. Well, let's move on and talk about one of the other new features. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Notification Center and the Today View, because those have now been merged into one. And Notification Center we've had around for a couple of versions of the operating system, but the Today View is new, and that's something that's been borrowed from iOS. Yeah. I'm and actually a pretty big fan of the Today View. I, I find myself using the Today View more frequently than I've ever used Notification Center. So I'm I'm in there quite a bit. And by default, you can configure it very similarly to as you can configure the Today View in your iPhone. And it ships with a couple of, are we calling them widgets? Is that what they're called? I think, I think that's the official name. Okay. Not to be confused with desktop widgets, but it ships with a couple of standard widgets. Um, it will tell you kind of a summary of today, you know, much like your iPhone, it's mostly cloudy, the highest 75, blah, blah, blah. This is what's next on your calendar. Uh, it's got some social sharing features like Facebook, Twitter, messages, uh, an overview of your calendar. You can put the weather in there. You can put a calculator in there. It gives you an overview of tomorrow, stocks, reminders, and world clock. And I'm pretty sure those are all the the standard ones that because those all come direct from Apple. And if those sound familiar, well, a lot of those were either previously in Notification Center or they honestly, they used to be Apple widgets. Yeah. And Apple widgets aren't gone yet. No, no. But I think what Apple is hoping will happen is that much like uh, developers with iOS 8 have been able to build widgets to go into the today view of iOS 8, that as Mac apps are updated for Yosemite, that they will also build widgets to go into that today notification. So um, perhaps instead of having reminders in the today view, I will have my OmniFocus tasks in the today view. Um, you know, I I can certainly think of a couple of examples, even directly from iOS, that I would I would like to have in there today, even. Yeah, and you know what's funny is I've I've heard crickets on this from developers. I I haven't heard anything either. Yeah, and you know as we record the show, I think we're within days of this thing releasing, and I haven't seen that many people are tying into it. Maybe they're going to wait until it releases. Well, but. I think a lot of developers have just been so busy getting their iOS eight releases prepped. I think yeah. they get their iOS eight releases prepped. They make sure that their app is going to run under Yosemite and then whatever other time they have, you know, that's just gravy. So to use this, you take two fingers and swipe from the right side of your trackpad. Or, or there's a keyboard yeah. combination, which is, what is the keyboard combination? Oh, I have no idea. I just hit the little button up at the top of the menu bar. Yeah. At the upper right, right. uh, the menu bar, it looks like a kind of a bulleted list if you tap on that. And uh, so it's got two tabs. It's very similar, like Katie said, to the iOS notification center. The one is today and the other one is notifications. And by the way, notifications has been around a while, but that's something to worry. That's something worth spending a little bit of time on because 
yeah, I see that like on my, my wife's computer and she's got, she doesn't use it because there's so much noise in there. She's never gone through and kind of taken out the application. She doesn't want notifications from, and there's so many that it doesn't, it's not effective for her. I would recommend going through and cleaning that out and just getting the, the apps that you really want in there. Yeah. But it, it it looks great. And I think ultimately the plan is to kill off, you know, the standard Mac OS 10 widgets. I'm just going to stop fighting it and just say Mac OS 10. Okay. You do that. Uh, but I think the plan is to eventually kill those off. I, I wouldn't be, um, yeah, I wouldn't count on that. I know that there's some people out there that love them, but it just seems to me like they're really going to head this direction. Like I bet, you know, like the delivery apps and other things are going to find their way into this today view. Before. Well, but in, in order to find your way into the today view and correct me if I'm wrong, you have to have an app. Currently, things like the delivery app is I'm sorry, the delivery widget is just a widget. It's not a full fledged. Yeah, app. that's true. And that's just HTML. Right. So I don't know. Well, I guess we'll find out. Yeah. But, but um, just to follow up on what you said about Notification Center, I wholeheartedly agree uh, with tweaking that and toning that down. Otherwise, it will just become completely unuseful. The way that you do that is you go into system preferences and they're the same way that you've always done it, but so many people have not yet done it. Go into system preferences and go into notifications. And there you'll see a list of all of the apps that have the ability to send you notifications. And just like on iOS, you can decide whether you get no reminders and that those are the little bubbles or alerts that pop up. And, you know, usually it's the upper right corner of the screen, um, as well as what you want to see on the notification or lock screen. And those typically have to be customized, or they do have to be customized separately because the reminders and the notifications are different. Um, so I, I have gone through, and I've been pretty ruthless with what I get out of Notification Center. Like, I don't put mail in my Notification Center. I don't put tweets in my Notification Center. Um, I have a few things in there, but like things like I want to know if my, if my clone ran, like Carbon Copy Cloner, by the way, version 4 is new for, um, for Mavericks. I'm sorry, Yosemite. It requires a new version four for that, so you may want to look for the update if you use that. It's a pretty cool update, by the way. But um, transporter, when I get a new file, I keep those in the notification center. But I really keep that lean and mean; otherwise, it just becomes you know noise. Yeah, so check that out. And uh, I think this is overall a nice improvement. I like the consistency between iOS and the Mac OS uh, with respect to that that notification center slash today view. Although I feel like Today view is probably the not not the right name for it because it's really becoming a widget center. But I don't know if they're going to do anything about that or not. Yeah. For now, at least it's called today, even though there'll be things in there that have nothing to do with today. Yeah. Uh, well, I know we want to move on and talk about Spotlight because that is a big change with Yosemite. But before we do, I want to take a quick break and talk about our next sponsor of this episode. And that is 1Password. And I have a lot to talk about with 1Password because Big update to 1Password. Version 5 for iOS has come out. And here's the good news. If you are currently an owner of 1Password version 4, you get all of the new features of version 5 for free. So here's a quick rundown of what is new in version 5. First off, big one, app extensions. You can now use 1Password to log into a growing list of all of your favorite apps and even update your passwords within those apps. Perhaps my favorite feature of 1Password it now integrates with Safari. So you can now keep an extension inside Safari where you go to a Safari web page. You can automatically fill your 1Passwords directly within Safari. 
And you don't even have to type in your password because also new in 1Password version 5 is the ability to unlock with Touch ID. So after you've unlocked with your master password, you can get back into your 1Password vault or operate it through Safari or any of your favorite apps with the touch of your thumb on Touch ID. Now you do have to configure this. You do that in settings and security to learn a bit a little more about how this feature works and how long you want it to be before you have to re-enter that um, master password again. So that's it. Also, new syncing features. They have rebuilt iCloud Sync to take advantage of Apple's new I, uh, Cloud Kit. Uh, Wi-Fi Sync is also still available and Dropbox Sync is also available. They've got uh, a new user interface, and and here's the real kicker, David. Did I mention, by the way, that it's free? You did not, Katie Foy. I did not. 1Password version 5 is now free for everyone to use. Now, the free version is somewhat limited, but it gives you all the basic features of 1Password. You can create logins. You can create identities. You can create credit cards and secure notes. And you can use all of these items in Safari and other apps, and you can also sync with 1Password for Mac, Windows, and Android. Now, once you've decided that you love 1Password, which won't take very long, uh, then you can decide to add the Pro features in via an in-app purchase. And again, remember, if you're already a 1Password version 4 member, you already have all those Pro for, uh, purchases for free. And then you get a, the whole range of 1Password features, including the ability to add bank accounts, email accounts, memberships, passports, reward programs, wireless routers, software licenses, add multiple vaults, vaults organize things with tags, add custom fields. Uh, I mean, it just goes on and on and on. Uh, so go check them out. You can find more information at onepassword.com. And uh, thanks to Agile Bits for their continued support of Mac Power users. Okay, so we've covered Notification Center, but you know, another big change is the Spotlight revamp. And you know, Spotlight has been, has really kind of grown <laughs> incrementally over the years. It first showed up and it was a great idea that didn't work all that great. It seemed like it spent a lot of time indexing and not a lot of time giving um, responses. And I think it was 10.4 where Spotlight first showed up. But over the years, Spotlight has really grown into something quite fast and they've added functionality to it. But it's never been kind of like the keyboard launcher like we get with LaunchBar or Alfred or Quicksilver. And um, this release once again, kind of brings it even a little bit closer to those applications. Uh, when you hit command space now, you get a search bar in the center of the screen as opposed up to the upper right-hand corner. And then when you start typing something in, it gives you live results. And uh, the live results are, are pretty good. I mean, it, like if you type in a name, it shows up that person's contact card. Um, it's not as good, frankly, as something like LaunchBar or Alfred, because, you know, Apple's not going to go to the same level of geekery that those developers are going to do. But it, it is, if you've not, if you're not using any of these applications, this is a good starting point. Um, like yeah. I, like on the contact card, this is a good example. If I, if I type in Katie, Katie Floyd's face shows up and her various numbers, but there's no way for me using my keyboard to fill the screen with her number. You know, like one of my most common uses for launch bar is on my computer. I usually keep it a standing desk on the other side of the room is my phone. And so uh, when I want to dial somebody's phone number, I need to be able to see it across the room. So I always make it, they've got a function in launch bar where you type the name and you hit tab space and enter. And then it shows up on the screen. It fills up the screen with a number. And in order to do that with, 
with a spotlight, I'd have to mouse over it and push a button and select which number I want to show. It, it can do it, but it's just not nearly as efficient. Um, it doesn't do file management. There's, there's a whole lot of stuff it doesn't do, but as a basic entry level for an application launcher, uh, or something to, to look up quick information, it even does a, you know, even does a basic web search, Wikipedia. Um, it's, it's just fine. You know, I did not realize this. I actually, the first thing I typed into Spotlight is I typed David. And yeah. you you were the first, although I do have a lot of Davids in my contacts, you're probably the one yeah. that I use the most. The top hit was David Sparks. Yeah. And then the second hit was David's Bridal. Uh, no, I do not have an announcement. I'm not quite sure why Katie that's the Floyd, second hit. What is going on in your life? <laughs> yeah, but uh, that, that is the second hit. The third yeah. hit is bridal-dress-online.com. So... Again, not sure where it's getting that information. I just want to know from. where you're spending your time these days on the internet. <laughs> Apparently, I'm doing a lot of uh, a lot of dress shopping. So, right. so for whatever reason, it's it's caught up with David Spridal. But as soon as I type in David Sparks, um, did you know by the way that there's a Wikipedia page for David Sparks and it's not you? Yeah, I didn't. I haven't done that. I I don't even know if I. I don't even know how that works, to tell you the truth. Yeah. So the first entry for David Sparks is your contact card. And then the second yeah. entry is David Sparks, who appears to be some kind of athlete. All Let's right. Let's see. David Walter Sparks was an American football offensive lineman. Well, I am David W. Sparks. That might have been me. You were don't you, know. Were, were, were you born in 1928? And no, did, I was did, not. Did you die? <laughs> did you die in 1954? No. <laughs> yeah. Maybe you were named after this guy. Uh, maybe, maybe. Yeah. Oh, the, oh, this is sad. David Sparks died from a heart attack at age 26. Well, that During sucks. his career with the Washington Redskins. That's, 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 I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. Okay, um, moving on. But it, it's good, though. I mean, I think they've, I like the improvements in Spotlight, and there are uses for it. And, you know, like, one of the uses for it uh, is uh, to make phone calls from your computer, which we're going to talk about later with some of the connectivity stuff. Um, so there are things that it is actually really good for. Um, uh, I haven't uninstalled LaunchBar, and I still find my... What I've done is I've mapped Spotlight to Command Space, which was kind of the original idea for Spotlight. And I've always had LaunchBar and Quicksilver or whatever app I was using as a launcher through all these years as Control Space. And so I, I can jump between either one, depending on what it is I need to do. I, I still find I use LaunchBar the most, but I know there's a lot of people out there that don't want to invest in a keyboard uh, shortcut like launcher application. And those people are going to be really happy with Spotlight. It also doesn't add like the macros. And I mean, the, like file management is another one. Like if I've got applications on my desktop, I always file them away just using the keyboard and launch bar. It's just so much faster than opening the finder and dragging stuff around and trying to find the right subfolder. It's, it's just so much faster. And that's something that we're never going to see from Spotlight. Well, maybe not never, but... Not for a while. I, I would I almost say never because I just don't see. I think Apple's sweet spot with this stuff is, you know, let's make it easy for most people to use. And the really high end nerd stuff, we're going to leave to other people. I mean, that's the reason why there's apps like BusyCal and you know, all these other applications that, that go places that Apple's just not willing to go. And I, I should mention that we already have in the works, uh, we're going to do a, a launcher smackdown show which we're going to feature LaunchBar, Alfred, potentially Quicksilver, if you want to do Quicksilver, and Spotlight. Yeah. Yeah. They're all pretty good right now. 
Yeah. So we're going to talk about that. I think that's yeah. coming up in November. We'll see. We got, we got a lot of stuff to do this fall. I, you yeah. know, there, I was always worried we'll run out of show topics, but not anytime soon. Okay. Um, so is that enough on the spotlight, new spotlight? Yeah, I think so. You, you, we talked about all the ad- additional features that it adds. So that's, that's nice. Yeah. And you can learn about your um, namesake and Wikipedia. That's I'll have to do that. Yeah. All right. Um, Safari is interesting and it took me a little bit to get used to Safari. Uh, the, the minimalist interface in Safari is probably where Apple took this a little bit too far for my liking, because when you initially launch Safari, it, it's just this, big screen and a bar up the top and that's it you know no bookmark bar it only shows the main domain name um no nothing but the good news is is that there are some ways to customize that to bring back some of those features if you look into the view menu and you look inside the safari preferences you can you can tweak safari to to make it perhaps a little more comfortable to your liking and once i've done some of those like added the bookmarks bar back um, and and tweaks the URLs so that it shows me the full URLs. I find that I'm much happier with Safari. Yeah. Okay. So you you've raised a couple points. Um, the bookmarks. Uh, I guess it just depends on the person. But you can. There is a setting where you can have it redisplay your bookmarks across the top. But even if you don't want to do that, as soon as you tap in the search bar, or I believe it's hit Command L which does the same thing. Right. It's going to, it's going to display all your favorited bookmarks and their folders right there. So you could mouse over them at that point, which is what the same behavior you would have if it were in a displayed bookmark bar. I mean, you still have to use the mouse to get there. Yeah. How do you, or, well, this, it may be a little off topic, but I'll go there. How do you organize your bookmarks? Because I, I keep all, I don't keep all of my bookmarks in the bookmarks bar, but I, I basically have a, like three bookmarks folders with, which are my primary areas of, of interest in the bookmark bar. And then I have a couple of bookmarklets, like the one that we use to help us with the show notes and an Instapaper bookmarklet and a Squarespace bookmarklet. And that's it. Yeah, we're I actually we're very similar because I have um I have Max Sparky is my command one. It's the first one. And command two or the second one is a Squarespace login for MaxSparky.com. And then after that, I have a folder called Mac and a folder called law and a folder called personal. And, and that, that's where I go for whatever I'm up to. And I have bookmarklets for pocket and some of the Mac power users, admin stuff. And I'm right. frankly, I, I want to kill the pocket one. I, I want them to come up with an extension, which we're going to talk about in just a minute here. Yeah. I want Instapaper to come up with an extension too. I, I think it's got to be soon, right? Yeah. Uh, and well, let's talk about that for a minute. Uh, well, actually, let me finish my train of thought before, because the other thing that you you had a problem with was the failure to display the entire URL in the uh, URL URL bar. They've kind of simplified it now, where it just shows the basic URL. That I thought that would bother me, and it really hasn't. Mm. The data is there. Like if you it, like when I'm writing a web post, I'm gonna want to copy a link. I hit Command L, which highlights the menu bar and usually highlights the entire link and command C or command a to select it all. And then command C. And then you see the whole link. That's the only time I ever really want to make sure I have everything, but for the day-to-day browsing, having it just give me a simple uh, URL that shows the, the root domain is, is just fine with me. I don't know. Did, did having the full domain ever bother you before? Cause sometimes I like to make sure at, uh, where, where in the site am I? And yeah, 
Yeah. By the way, you can change that by going into the Safari preferences and then in the advanced tab, it's called smart search field. And there's a little checkbox called show, show full website address. Does it seem to you that Apple is more willing to put checkboxes in to change preferences lately? Yes. Yeah. Just to <laughs> me too. I mean, I think a few years ago, they'd be just like, you know what? That information's not there anymore. Tough luck. And now they're giving you an option to turn it back on, which I guess is good. I don't know. I think it's good. Uh, I don't mind having a few extra checkboxes if it makes people, you know, happy. And I'm going to get a bunch of email about that now because it's actually more controversial than you think it would be. Um, and then the extensions. So we brought this in and, and I've lost track of which release it was, but I know it was one of the last, uh, maybe the last two releases. They've added this little button. Maybe it was even just with Mavericks. The sharing button that we always had on iOS showed up on Mac OS and it's like in the Safari, which I use quite frequently. It gives you the ability to take a link and add it to your reading list or a bookmark or email a page. If I'm reading an interesting article, I may want to message it to my wife. I can do it right from there. And it's a lot faster than the old method of copying the link, going to some other application, opening up the application, finding her, pacing like it's just so much better. But it was a limited list of applications supported. And in addition to the ones I've already mentioned, it also did Twitter and Facebook. Well, now they've got a little more button there and you can go and add additional sources there like Vimeo, LinkedIn, and some of the, uh, some of the Asian sharing services. Um, and some that I don't even recognize what they are. So I don't want to walk all over these names, but in theory, we would have third-party applications like Instapaper and Pocket and maybe even OmniFocus be able to plug into that. So you could automatically share a URL to an application. And that's one of those things that we haven't seen much in the betas. And I really hope software developers kind of seize upon it. Yeah. And again, I think, number one, there's there's not really a reason for the software developers to to do this until, you know, the it's out. So we'll see. I, you know, but I, again, I think the software developers have just been busy. Yeah. Well, with OmniFocus, the Clipatron kind of solves this problem, but there's a lot of other applications that don't have something like that. And I don't know, how often do you find yourself using that sharing button in Safari on your Mac? Rarely. I mean, a couple of times a week, maybe, maybe to email a web page or maybe to send, share something to Twitter. Yeah, I definitely use it more than you do. And I even say, like, I'll see an article and I'll mail it off to a client because it's something of interest or, I don't know, I just, I find myself, I, I think it's a very fast way to send a web page to a person in just about any possible medium you would want to. Yeah. But I also notice that for what it's worth, it also keeps recents because I must have recently sent a, a web page. In fact, I, I remember I sent a web page to my mom a couple of days ago and it says recently, you know, send a, send an email to Mary. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that even, that's even faster. Cool. Um, okay. So uh, we've, Covered Safari, uh, view all tabs at once. We didn't really talk about that. Yeah, that's that's a button now. Yeah. So if you've got that's multiple good. tabs open, it's easy to see everything. And the search results are better, too, in Safari. Just kind of like Spotlight has better search results, so does the Safari search bar. So when you type in the search bar, you don't just get, you know, a set of, like, web results. You can get Wikipedia, Bing, Maps, iTunes. Nice. 
I think in general, it's, it's a nice improvement for Safari. Although uh, my recommendation with the minimal toolbar is give it a shot. Don't just immediately go turn everything on. Work with it for a week and see how you do. Well, let's talk a little bit about mail, because I got to tell you, mail is kind of an area where I've been a bit disappointed. Um, I actually saw mail take maybe a step backwards with Mavericks, and I was hoping that they would come back and, and fix some of those things in Yosemite. And they've given us two main new features in, in Yosemite mail, but I'm not sure that they've really done a whole lot for users in mail. It's It's really not a power user mail application still. Yeah, it's it's kind of hard to it, it's it, mail is such a personal thing and some things work for some people and some things don't. Um I've always felt that mail gets a little bit of a bum rap. I mean, there are some really nice features in there like the VIP feature is something I use quite often. Um the keyboard shortcuts for filing mail is really great. The exchange support, you know, it, it just depends on like your features like my my day job uses Microsoft Exchange. So I need a mail application that's going to be really great at Microsoft Exchange. And I guess some people argue mail's not really great at it, but at least it, it manages it. When I see some of these third-party mail applications out there that don't support Microsoft Exchange, I have to ask myself if it's good enough to use, if I want it so badly that I'm willing to use it, even though it doesn't support Exchange, meaning I have to go to a different mail app to deal with work email. And so, so mail is a, I don't think it's a bad all-arounder, and it depends on what technologies you're using. Like, if you're a Gmail person, I don't think MailApp is the right tool for you. Um, so, you know, it just depends would be my my statement on Mail. But they did add some new features. They added MailDrop, which allows you to send large attachments up to 5 gigabyte using iCloud Drive. And I haven't really been able to successfully test this yet. Have you got it to work? I haven't really had a reason to test it yet because it you can't I don't think it's turned on yet because you can't yeah. really test it with anybody other than current you know Mavericks users because I don't and, think the iCloud the the iCloud web piece is turned on yet. And we're going to talk about iCloud Drive later in the show. I call it the undiscovered country of OS 10. But the um but the other feature they have is markup, which is similar to Sketch. It allows you to go in and draw on an image right in the mail message. And I have used that and I do find that useful. I'm very curious to see this is another one what third party developers can do. I mean, can Guy go in there with his application and plug it in? I mean, if the in a lot of ways these are parallel processes to those that we see now on iOS. So you have extensions and widgets and plugins on iOS. So now we've got them on the Mac. And once again, we haven't seen a whole lot during the beta period from developers. And I don't think we're going to see this massive flood of support for these features on day one, like we did on iOS. But I do think smart developers are going to start looking into this stuff. Um, but yeah, to answer your question, I, I don't think mail, if, if you didn't like mail before, I don't think there's anything in this new version that's going to make you want to start using it. If you are a mail user, there's some nice touches here. I haven't had nearly the problems through the beta process with mail that I've ha I had with the, the Mavericks release. Oh, you mean they didn't break Gmail? Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. I, well, it wasn't just, I, I, I think that's not the only problem that they had last year. I mean, right. I just thought mail was generally unstable last year and this year it seems to be okay. Yeah. Well, one of the problems that I've noticed is 
You may remember this from a couple of OSs ago when they introduced the VIP feature and we talked about how you could use, in fact, you wrote this up on Max Sparky, how you could um, use a trick in the view menu to only show VIP from your inbox. Yeah. And that seems to have gone away. Um, I I cannot figure out how to only show VIPs in my inbox anymore. So if anybody knows how, let me know. I'll have to take a look at that. I haven't, I don't really use that that much anymore. I mean, my biggest use for VIPs is it's a filter on notifications. Right. And I I don't usually sit down at my mail and say, okay, just show me VIP mail. I, you know, because of the way my mail system works. Yeah. I don't really either because I use SaneBox for that now, but it would also kind of be nice to be able to get rid of this VIP inbox then. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I should look into that. But for people but, who don't have a system like you and I do, maybe they do use VIPs, and I think it's gotten less useful. Yeah, agreed. Um, hey, let's take a sponsor break. Okay. Um, our third sponsor today is our friends at Smile. And uh, in particular, Smile has a great upgrade to uh, Text Expander Touch for the iOS devices. And it, they've added, in addition to many other new features, they've added the custom keyboard. And the big problem with Text Expander Touch was it always worked great, but it required the third-party app developers to tie in. And Text Expander has done a fantastic job of getting the word out, and they made it easy. And a lot of our favorite apps have Text Expander Touch support right right in them. But there are certain apps like the stuff Apple releases that was never going to support Text Expander. And so they've added now with the new version of Text Expander Touch a custom keyboard, which you can add to your iOS device. And when you've got that custom keyboard running, your Text Expander Touch snippets will work in any application. I almost feel like I should say that twice. It works in any application. So like all those great snippets I have, and let's say I'm in the native mail client on my iPad or my iPhone, all I have to do is is tap the little glow button on my keyboard to get to the Text Expander Touch keyboard. And then I can t- start typing in my snippets at will and they just show up. It's fantastic. You can sync the snippets with Text Expander uh, on OS X and on other iOS devices via Dropbox. So you're going to get all that great stuff that you created on your Mac right over to your iOS device. You don't have to type it in on your on your phone. And it saves you a ton of time as you work through your various devices. The Text Expander snippet system is, is much more powerful than the keyboard expansion stuff that iOS has built in. This is another example of what I was talking about earlier, where Apple's just not going to go that far down the rabbit hole as, as a Text Expander is willing to do to give you great options. Now, a lot of people are worried about privacy with these new keyboards. You don't have to worry about that with Text Expander. They've got a blog post about it. We're going to go ahead and put that in the show notes. But basically, um, they don't upload your data. They don't see what it is. Their application checks to see if you've triggered a snippet, and then it dumps whatever you've typed. You know, there's just no logging or anything like that going on. These are people we can trust, and they make a great application. Uh, I did a video um just one day to show some people how to make um, Text Expander Touch work. Because you know, for a lot of people out there, they may be uncomfortable or not sure how to enable these third-party keyboards. We'll go ahead and put a, a, a link in for that as well, too. It's very easy once you enable it. Uh, but Text Expander Touch really brings it up to a new level. Now you get your snippets everywhere. It's a fantastic upgrade to a fantastic application. Thank you, Smile, for all of your support of the Mac Power users. So the big thing that we've kind of been saving for towards the end 
is continuity. And that, yeah. that encompasses a whole range of, I think I'm saying that right, the continuity feature encompasses kind of a whole range of features of bringing the Mac, the iPhone, the iPad all together and having these devices work with one another. It includes everything from SMS messages to instant hotspots to making phone calls to handing off information between various devices. So this this big umbrella of continuity includes a whole lot of things. Yeah. The um let's yeah, I just want to take this kind of systematically because you know, the underlying thought here excuse me. I got a had a horse in my throat. Is that is that the right I, phrase? I, I hope not a real one. Yeah, but whatever. It's, frog. it's gone it's a now. frog in your throat. Frog. What is a horse in my throat? What does that even mean? I, I have no idea, but you should like definitely go see somebody about that. We have to stop. We have to stop recording so late, Katie. I get I get kind of loopy. But <laughs> anyway, so you know, Apple has one advantage on there. They have you know several advantages. One of them being that they make the whole widget. They make the operating system. They make the hardware. And they make all the different platforms. None of the other competitors do that. I mean, Google makes an operating system and Microsoft makes an operating system, but other people make the devices that their operating systems are installed upon. So uh, Apple has a unique opportunity to say, hey, if you use our stuff, that's going to talk to each other really well. And I don't think they've really jumped on that very well um, up until very recently. And, and this is kind of the the big jump for this. So the first thing I I, I thought which demoed really well when they first announced all this was receiving telephone calls. I mean, how often, and I know this is true for me quite often, is you get a phone call and your phone's in your pocket or maybe charging on the other side of the room, but you're sitting at your Mac or your iPad. So you got to get up and go get your phone to answer the phone call. What if the phone call would just show up on your screen? Well, now it does. So when I get a phone call now, and this has been working for me pretty well for some time throughout this beta period, um, I can answer the phone on my iPad, on my Mac, or on my phone, which is fantastic. And it does it through the speaker uh, on both the Mac and the iPad, unless you, I guess, unless you've got headphones plugged in, which is not very usual for me. But it, it works just fine. And you know, I, I don't know the first time I got a call and my phone was in my pocket and it was easier just to click accept on my on my screen and start talking to the person. It felt like I was in the future. And the flip side of that is that you can place calls from your other devices. So when I was talking earlier about Spotlight, if I go to Katie Floyd's name and I hover over her name, a little phone icon pops up and I can just tap that and it'll dial the phone from my pocket, but I'll be able to talk to her from my Mac. And it appears that the way, and I'm going to put a, a much more in-depth article that Ars Technica has written because they, they really dig deep into this kind of stuff, but it appears that Apple is using a combination of, of Wi-Fi and or Bluetooth, depending on which service they're using at which time, to make all of this happen and to figure out that, yes, your phone and your Mac are on the same network, and yes, they're in reasonable proximity to each other to make sure that some of this happens. Uh, the the weird thing about it is it, it kind of gives you that panic room effect when all the devices in the room start going off at once, you know, because, you know, the phone rings, it's always starts with a phone. You get like one, maybe one and a half rings out of the phone. Then, then the iPad and the Mac kick in and in the earlier betas, sometimes the Mac would not stop ringing. So I'd pick up the phone 
and the Mac in the background would still be ringing, but that's, that's largely been fixed okay. and it, it stops pretty quickly. Once in a while, you may get one last ring out of your other devices after you pick up on another device, but it stops. And so, can I give you a pro, a pro tip? Yeah. And I got We got to thank our friend Jeff from uh, iPhone JD for this. You yeah. got to be very careful because now you, you don't just necessarily have to silence your iPhone. Yeah, that's but right. You, you have to silence your iPad too. Yeah. You know, so like if you're going to court and you get a phone call, that was no big deal as long as you remember to silence your iPhone. But if you don't remember to silence your iPad, yeah, you're going to get called out. Yeah. So, but, but this is really great. And, and, you know, as I was saying this, I was thinking I could have probably turned off the ringer setting, like on the phone on the Mac, because I would be looking at the screen whenever it rings. I'm not sure I need it to, to actually physically ring. So I should probably play with those settings a little bit, but I can tell you that it has become part of my daily practice now when the phone rings to answer it from whatever device I'm si- I happen to be sitting on. If I'm sitting there on my iPad, you know, grinding through OmniFocus and the phone rings, I answer it on my iPad. You know, it's just whatever device I've got, I answer it on. And now I just take that for granted. And the ability to place a phone call out is something I'm using a lot more than I thought I would. So this is a nice upgrade. How are you finding the call quality from, and I know a lot of it's going to vary based on, are you using the built-in speakers and how are they oriented and where are you situated and things like that. But, but generally, how are you finding the call quality when you're calling or talking from a non-phone phone? It's not as good as if I hold the phone up to my ear and talk into the regular iPhone, but it's good enough. Yeah, it all depends on what you're doing. Now, if you answer, and this is something I haven't tried, let's say hypothetically that you answer a call on your Mac and you realize, oh, this is going to be a longer call. Can you transfer that call to your phone and go pick up your phone? I do not know. Mm, I haven't, I I don't, I believe the answer to that is no. I haven't seen an easy way to do that, but it would be nice if you could. I, I guess I'd have to look at it. But the place I would check on is I'd open up my phone and look at source. I believe it's source is the button, the upper right corner. And oh, that's uh, true. Because that's true because the the call is ultimately it's it's always coming through your phone. Yeah. So if you were able to switch the source, just like if you're on a Bluetooth device, you can always switch it to the internal speaker or to a headphone. So there may be an option for that. I've just you know it's never occurred to me to do that. Yeah. I, I don't like to stay on the phone very long. I've noticed. Have you? <laughs> You're not alone. Well, it's because I always have horses in my throat. Well, that can be uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. So what now, is, sometimes I just like, what is wrong with me? I don't even know. Sometimes I say crazy yeah, stuff. And, and just keep in mind, it's three hours later over here. Yeah. Well, anyway. So, um, but in order, but you, but you were born in 1924 and play <laughs> offensive. 28, 1928. <laughs> yeah. I forgot it was so long ago. Yeah. Um, but a couple of these features that we're, we're talking about are only going to be available to newer Macs. And I have I have heard from people, and of course, not having the final, final Golden Master, but just the Golden Master candidate on my machine at this point, whether this will change. But um, a lot of people were complaining, I know, with the most recent Golden Master release candidate, that the um, mid-2011 Mac uh, MacBook Airs previously worked with some of these features and now they no longer do. As I understand it, the, the gating factor is the Bluetooth low energy chip. Yeah. Bluetooth Bluetooth. 4.0 LE. Yeah. And that allows you to very easily share data across devices and not kill batteries. And if it doesn't support that, then I don't think it's going to work. Yeah. 
But but I we specifically heard from people that the the 2011 MacBook Air does have the the, the newer standard Bluetooth, and people are saying that it doesn't. Hmm. So again, that, that was a that was a change that was a change made recently in one of the more recent. Now you can well, check. That kind of stinks. I mean, if yeah. it has the chip. Yeah. So there must be more going on in there. Um, so there are a couple of things that you can do to determine your Mac's Bluetooth version. If you click on the Apple menu and select about this Mac, and then you click the more info button, and then you click the system report button, um, there's a Bluetooth that's listed on the hardware. Um, and if you scroll down to the bottom of that, you'll see it's called the LMP version. And so um, you're looking to see if your Mac is equipped with Bluetooth 4.0. I'll put a link for that in the show notes. Um, there's more features than just uh, telephone calls, though, because as we've established, you know, we don't like to make a lot of calls anyway. Uh, SMS now you can do through the messages on your Mac. So your green bubble friends. That now have a home on your Mac. Yeah. I kind of didn't like those people anyway, so. <laughs> Sorry. You're not worthy if you don't have a blue bubble. <laughs> you know. Wow, Katie. Wow. That's rough. Handoff. Okay, so handoff is a feature that allows you to go from one device to the other. And this is another feature that I thought was fantastic when I saw it demoed. In practice, I haven't found myself using it much. But like if you're writing a long email and on your Mac and you switch over to your iPad or your iPhone or the opposite, uh, it shows up in the in the toolbar. Well, not the toolbar. It shows up in the dock and you right. can just click on it and it opens up right where you left off. It works pretty well. Yeah, I, it, I've seen this and developers can also build support for handoff into their apps. And I've seen it with Apple apps. I, again, I have not seen this with third party apps yet, but you know, it, you know what it could also be, David? Um, and I don't know this because I haven't talked to any of our developer friends. Sometimes Apple holds those um, OS specific updates until the OS is released. So we we might see a bunch of updates on release day. And another point to make that I, I thought of earlier but forgot to mention is that uh, it was really time consuming and expensive to develop this stuff for an operating system. And when the operating system, until they have said, this is the gold master, this is the release version, um, you know, software developers have had experiences where they've spent a lot of time and resources and money making a feature that didn't work with the gold master because something got tweaked at the end and they had to do it all over again. And rather than do it twice, I think a lot of people will wait until they issue the final version of Yosemite and then start building these tools. Yeah. I tell you the feature that I am really enjoying that I've I've already used more than a couple of times is the instant hotspot feature, uh, which is also related to handoff. And basically, that's where you can either use your cellular equipped iPhone or iPad if you've got the uh, hotspot feature turned on to just automatically connect, well, not quite automatically, but pretty painlessly connect um, to one of your other devices, and it just shows up as another wireless network. Now, this is good and bad. I mean, it's it's good because it's it's so easy to use, um, but it can be bad because you got to be careful because if you are set to auto-connect to it and maybe you don't realize that you're on that network, you could, you could eat through a bunch of your tethering bandwidth. I think just kind of an aside, isn't it great, all this competition between these these uh, carriers now about giving us more data. Yeah, I did not even realize it, but I 
was on a two gigabyte plan with Verizon. Well, first off, I, I was on a one gigabyte plan for Verizon. And then last year they upped me to a two, like all one gigabyte plans now become two. And I thought, oh, great. And then this year when I re-upped my contract, when I got the new iPhone, all of a sudden now I have two gigabytes of, I don't know what they call it, bonus data. So now, now I've got four gigabytes. I don't know how long that bonus data is going to hang around, but... That's pretty cool. I was, you're, I was, you're so much more frugal with your data than my family is. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, to tell you. I'm cheap, but, um, this weekend I was, uh, I was at a conference and they did not have free Wi-Fi, and I was cheap. I wasn't going to pay for the free Wi-Fi. And then the hotel that I was in the Wi-Fi, you just, it might as well not be there. And so I used like two gigabytes of tethering just this weekend while I was at this conference. And it was like, wow, okay, no problem. I still got two to go. Yeah, we're with AT&T and we had the family sharing plan and 10 gigabytes wasn't enough for us with four of us. Oh, uh, you so are the was, Sparks family. Yeah, so I, I was getting 15 a month. And, you know, it's it's funny because the, uh, AT&T gives you a notice, I think, when you get to 75% of your plan and 90% of the plan. And it, it texts it out to everybody on the plan. So my kids always knew when the 75% message was out and our renewal date is the fourth of the month every month. And they would look at the calendar. They know if they're oh, in you, trouble. You did that because of May the 4th, didn't you? Uh, no, it just happened to be the way it worked, okay. but, and then you get the 90% one and it was like red alert and we all had to turn off all our radios, but, uh, AT&T just did a thing where they doubled it and there's no, like, there's no strings attached. I just can't change my plan anymore. I didn't have to like re up or anything, but now my 15, uh, that's paying for 15. Now I get 30 a month. Oh, so you're like <laughs> streaming Netflix. <laughs> I mean, I'm going crazy, but I, I'm not telling anybody in my family. I don't want them to know. I yeah. still want them a little afraid. Uh, uh, hi, kids. Uh, this is an edit point. We'll need to edit that out of the podcast now. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I think we're pretty safe. Your kids here. don't listen to your podcast. Well, that's, I'm that's sure. loving. Yeah. <laughs> uh, right. I think they'd rather get a root canal than listen to their dad talk about this stuff. Okay. Um, all right. So the connectivity stuff in general has been working pretty good for me throughout the videos. I think it's going to be a lot of fun using it. Uh, the, the handoff stuff I haven't used as much as I thought I would. I think I'm kind of a completionist. I mean, when I'm writing an iPhone email, I finish it. Uh, but the browser stuff is really nice too. Cause whatever like website you're on, if you're on your Mac and you're reading about a doctor who episode and you switch over to your iPad, you can just pick up where you left off. I find that very convenient. Um, but overall, I think this, this is a really nice addition, the connectivity in, uh, in Yosemite. Yeah. Um, well, let's talk about one more thing uh, before we talk a little bit about our kind of closing thoughts on this. iCloud Drive. You call it the undiscovered country. Yeah, I, I feel like the it's future. A, it, well, it's a promise that's been made. And it, I don't know where it stands. And I'm a little worried that I don't know where it stands. I mean, when this, I know it's only been two or three months since WWDC and Apple said, hey, we really get it this time. And and a lot of our developer friends have been saying, you know what, CloudKit is, you know, heads and shoulders above anything they've done before. And, and Apple, I got to tell you, that's what gives me the most promise, the most faith in it, is that our developers are pretty universally saying that we think they've got it right this time. But but what I've been going through, and this is very unfair, and I'm not even sure if I'm supposed to say it on a podcast, but throughout the beta process, this stuff hasn't really worked that much. And that's because we're in a beta process and they're figuring everything out. And I get that. But um, you know, as we record the show, uh, we've got iOS eight is out and has been updated and, and we're in a version of Yosemite. That's, that's a gold master. And uh, I think I, it's still a gold master candidate. 
Well, it's close, very close, and I'm not sure how it all is going to work. I, I think it's great. I mean, one of the first things you're going to notice when you switch over is your iCloud drive just shows up in the finder. And earlier in the show, when I was saying it was so hard to find the iCloud documents, now it's going to be ridiculously easy. And you can hit command in in there and create a new folder, which is kind of amazing. You can go in the finder and browse through your iWork documents or any other application you have. If you have an application on iOS and you're saving to the iCloud drive, you're going to see those files in there. I mean, this is so much better than what they had in the past in so many ways. It it feels truly like kind of a user-friendly finder service. It feels more like a competitor to Dropbox than it's ever felt before. Um, But, you know, I haven't seen this thing with a load under it yet. I I have yet to, like, dump you know, gigabytes and gigabytes of data in it. I just want to see it work first. And as we record the show, we haven't got to that point yet. So um, I, I, I hope that this really delivers because it's something that I think we, we all would really like to have. Um, one thing that we, uh, I don't know what else to say about iCloud drive. We'll, we'll talk a little bit about more uh, in our wrap up, but I'm looking forward to it, to not having this, this limbo period, because I feel like the last month we've been in limbo. Yeah, I agree. And I'm just, I'm, I'm over that. And I think that's one of the things that has been stagnating the iOS eight adoption is people are, we have heard about this iCloud drive thing as a problem. I think there are a lot of things that are causing problems with iOS eight and we'll talk about that too. But, um, well, I, I think that, um, there, there's still, there's still this limbo period because photos is the other big promise. And we're not going to know whether this works or not until they release the Photos app for Mac. Um, so it's, you know, and I get it. It's, I mean, who am I to, you know, it is so hard for me to get a, a little geeky book written. I can only imagine how much time and effort is going into making a reliable cloud service to manage everybody's photos and all the other stuff that iCloud Drive is promising to do. But um, I think we're just going to have to roll with it for a while. But I think a big test for me is going to be, you know, once Yosemite's out there, what kind of, how much of data can I throw into iCloud? How reliable is it? How fast is it going to sync? Um, because, you know, so far it just hasn't been in a place where I can really kick the tires the way I want to. Yeah. I guess the one thing that we haven't talked about and we just kind of threw at the end because we didn't know where else it went is um, we we should at least mention dark mode. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I don't care much for it. And at least throughout the beta process, it's it's been a little bit buggy. Yeah. Well, there's more to it than just making the menu bar dark. And I think they're figuring that out. Uh, right. And it just kind of depends on the types of apps you use. If you spend a lot of time in the pro apps, I would I would keep it turned on. It just depends on what you're doing. But I think in general, the system preferences and we, we, I don't want to, I could literally go another hour as we went through all the system preferences, but they aren't that, well, I, they aren't that much change, but I think it's worth doing every time you get a new operating system for the Mac and even on iOS, something that a power user can do. That's a lot of fun, at least in my world, it's fun. Is just go through the system preferences and see everything that's changed because there's always a lot of new additions and all those little tweaks that we've been talking about in the show, they'll show up in the system preferences. So t- take some time and go through them. Yeah. Macworld, well, Serenity Caldwell used to write it, so I don't know if they will, but they have previously had, you know, really comprehensive for every version of iOS and macOS, what's changed in system preferences. I don't know if they'll do that this year. Serenity, by the way, is now over at iMore. Oh, so Serenity so. may write it over at iMore. That would be cool. Yeah. Well, we'll wherever Serenity writes it, I will read it. Yeah. 
and, and also, you know, the the ultimate IO the ultimate OS ten review always comes from John Syracusa over at Ars Technica. If you're just going to read one, read that one. But and it, it by the way, is available now both on iBooks and Kindle. And I think yeah. that's the better way to, to read it. It's like five bucks. Go pay John Syracuse a five bucks for it and go read it. Yeah. yeah. So we want to wrap up the show talking a little bit about should you update? Should you update right away? What should you do when you update? Uh, and maybe a little bit about some of Apple's recent problems. But before okay. we do, um, I do want to talk about Gazelle. Can we do that? Yeah. So Gazelle, David, I know you sent an iPhone off to Gazelle. I've sent off iPhones to Gazelle. But Gazelle is the fast and simple way to sell all of your used gadgets. Uh, Many of you have just gotten new iPhones. Many of you will soon be getting new iPads. Christmas and the holiday season is right around the corner. And so we're going to have a lot of new Apple products circulating around. And you can find out what all of those Apple products are worth, whether it be an iPhone, an iPad, or a Mac over at Gazelle. That's G-A-Z-E-L-L-E dot com. So if you've recently received a new iPhone or iPad, if you're thinking about getting a new iPhone or iPad, Gazelle wants to buy your used iPhone or iPad for cash. And they make selling it so simple. So go to gazelle.com. Again, that's G-A-Z-E-L-L-E.com. And it will walk you through the process of finding your item. Tell them what you've got. If you got an iPad, what size is it? Uh, is it is it cellular? Is it AT&T, Verizon? Is it Sprint? Is it locked? Is it unlocked? Da, da, da. Go through and then tell them about the condition of it. And if it's broken, that's okay. They will even buy broken iPhones and iPads for you. They will give you a risk-free offer telling you what your gadget is worth. And if you decide that you want to accept it, you just click the box, say, yep, I will accept that. Boom. You have just locked in your offer for a certain number of days. Usually it's 30 days. Sometimes they extend that around around iPhone and iPad time. Um, and they will even send you a box and pay for the shipping to get that device to you. And they have, <laughs> I should send a picture of their box. They have actually spent quite a bit of time figuring out the engineering for these boxes. So how can they most efficiently get these boxes to you? And then how easy can they make it for you to send your devices back to Gazelle without having to worry about, oh, do I have the packaging? Oh, do I need to get some bubble wrap? Oh, do I need to get other materials? They've got it all figured out in one easy package. So once you get your packaging back, you send it off to Gazelle and you get paid fast. You can either do that by check, you can do that by PayPal, or again, the holidays are coming. Maybe you want to get an Amazon gift card because if you go that route, you get an extra 5% if you go with an Amazon gift card. So go to gazelle.com right now and get an offer on your iPhone or iPad. Lock in today's price for 30 days. If you haven't done that already, let me tell you, your iPhone or iPad will never be worth more than it is right now because your gadgets will lose value the longer you wait. Their payment is fast. It is risk-free. This is the only place that I sell my iPhones. If my iPhone is not getting handed down to a friend or family member, it gets in a box and it goes to Gazelle because I am so done with dealing with all of these other shady services and having to haggle and and wondering what's going to happen. So go to Gazelle. They've paid out nearly $175 million, um, over 1 million customers. They are the real deal. So um, we've got a link in the show notes. If you go sell your iPhone to Gazelle, please let them know that Mac Power users sent you. There's a little drop-down box when you send in your uh, stuff to tell them that Mac Power users sent you, or you can send them a tweet to at Gazelle. And uh, thanks to Gazelle for their support of the show. Okay, um, so the big question, do you update right away? No. No. Yes. Wow, that was fast. Well, it depends. (laughs) 
I don't know. I, I think if you're a Mac power user geek and you want to be in at the beginning, I completely understand. And I don't think the world is going to end. I just think you need to, you know, put the on the shelf or in the drawer top backup, whatever it is you want to call it. Um, obviously, if you've got some applications you use that are unusual or just any applications you use to get a paycheck, you probably could Google before does application X work in Yosemite? That's probably a good idea. Well, um, and does your version of application X work in Yosemite? Because yeah. number one, maybe there's an update or number two, maybe there's a paid update that you're not expecting to have to go out and buy right then and there. The, the smart advice is always wait until a point update or at least wait a week or two just to hear what happens. You know, you don't you don't want to necessarily be the canary in the cage to find out that your computer won't work with what, this update. Um, but if you want to take a walk on the wild side, I think this this app I, I think this update is pretty stable, and I've been using it, and you know I think I'm okay. I there's a couple things I'm experiencing still in the beta, which when the show goes live, hopefully are fixed. I, I have one little odd thing with the Finder. Finder crashing. Where, Mine does that yeah, too. Or, or just like the Finder minimizing when I when I drag a file. There's a couple things they're still a little odd, and I don't know if they'll get those fixed or not, but. If you really, if you're feeling brave and you want to give it a try, I wouldn't tell you not to. Well, and and let me kind of eat some of my own dog food here for a minute. I am obviously I'm already running the the public beta on my main machine. I've been doing so for about a month, and I also I have a Mac at work. And if it comes out on Thursday, I probably will upgrade it Friday after work. I'm probably not going to update it Thursday after work. I'm going to wait until Friday after work to do that. But I'm going to go ahead and do it. Um, you know, the either come in that Saturday and do it or, or stay late on Friday and go ahead and do it. Partly because I want to get all of my machines on Yosemite so I can start taking advantage of iCloud Drive and, and some of these other features. Because with Yosemite especially, this is one of those updates that if you update everyone together or all of your machines together, you're going to get a much better benefit than than keeping fragmented with some of your machines on and some of your machines off. And that's especially true because of iCloud Drive. But that being said, with any update, you have got to do your homework. Don't just blindly hit the update button. Know um, what apps are going to work and what, what aren't. And I mean, it's it's really, you know, it, it, it is expected to have some apps not work on day one. And you don't want to get caught in that trap when you could have found out just by, you know, taking five minutes to do a quick Google search. I, I think on this update, uh, a particular point that everybody needs to keep in mind is iCloud Drive. Um, when I when iOS 8 came out, we were telling people don't push the button to upgrade to iCloud. And the reason was because you didn't have a Yosemite machine on your Mac. And so you weren't going to be able to see the files on your Mac. That was one of the reasons, at least. Um, so, but now, you know, if you're going to do the update, I, I would, again, just enable iCloud Drive and move on with it. But like I said in the show earlier, and this is really bears repeating, make a backup copy of your iCloud data before you do the update at all, because I don't know necessarily that there aren't going to be problems uh, through the beta process. There were some problems with lost data in the iCloud, but it was a beta and that's why they have betas. But I think it's a safe idea to have a backup copy of your iCloud data before you push the big red button on the iCloud drive update. Yeah. I think once you do push it, I think you're going to be really happy with the ability to see the data and add files to it. I mean, just like the ability to drag a file from your desktop and drop it onto your iCloud drive is really 
liberating. And I haven't even got figured out all the ways I'm going to use iCloud Drive. I'm kind of waiting to see that it works. And then I'm going to really reconsider where I keep some of my data. I guess just a question, and, and we may not know the answer of this until later, but what do you think about the public beta process for Yosemite? I mean, this this was the first time that Apple has done this. Do you think it helped? Do you- I think it was a progressive move that needed to happen. Uh, I mean, in the traditionally in the past, the people that got the beta were the people in the developer program. So you pay a hundred bucks a year and you're a developer or you're a super nerd or a person in the press or somebody who has a real legitimate reason that's, that's willing to separate themselves with a hundred dollars enough to get onto that beta. And those people use different software than a lot of other people. And I think they needed to expand that testing base. I think a lot of the reasons why we saw so much trouble with mail last year was because they didn't have a wide enough range of testers. So I think it was a good thing. I'm glad. I hope it continues. Yeah, I, we'll, we'll see if if it really does pan out and that there are less bugs. Because there certainly were some big bugs in Mavericks when it first released. Yeah. yeah. And, you know what, this stuff is really hard. So, no, it I don't is. Know. It is. A- Apple has got a lot of heat um, in the last month or so about certain things like um, on iOS 8.0.1. And we're, you know, we've talked about iOS enough in the last month, but there was a release of the iOS operating system that bricked the newest iPhones. You know, the estimates were something like 40,000 people mm, stopped having their phones. I well, maybe I'm wrong. I, yeah. I thought it was 40, but I guess we'll find out. But either way, a lot of people, thousands, uh, had new phones that weren't working and they, they turned it around in one day and got it fixed. But, you know, there's these questions about, you know, is the QA at Apple falling down? Um, I, you know, I, I know there's a lot of, and then there's the statistics that show that the number of people upgrading to iOS 8 kind of stalled out a little bit. And I know in my house, the reason was because my kids had their phones full up with data and they couldn't do it over the air. We had to, you know, if you plug it into your Mac, you can update it without having to delete a bunch of your data. But the, um, but I don't know. I, I'm not sure that, you know, the vast majority of people out there are even aware that iOS 8.0.1 ever happened. I think, you know, it may be the data limitation for, and also I think last year's iOS 7 update was so jarring. I think that, that would scare more people off than, some bug in a small update, but, uh, you know, I don't know what the answer to all this is. They have a yearly schedule and they're going to have to try and keep up with it or slow down the schedule or put less into the schedule. But it feels to me on, on iOS, I know I'm rambling a little bit, but you know, I think last year they worked really, really hard to get iOS seven out and it wasn't fully ready. So then they had to put even more of the iOS eight development time into finishing iOS seven. And I, you know, I just think that that, that still has ramifications. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people are, are calling for a, a mountain lion type release, both, both for iOS and, and for the Mac operating system. And, you know, there's a, there's a lot of questions about, wow, is that, you know, if, if Apple slows things down, if they take a break, um, you know, are they going to get slammed in, in their stock or are they going to get slammed in the press for doing that? But, you know, the, the flip side of that is where are they going to be? If, if they don't, they really can't afford a bunch of missteps. Um, and I, I'm sure that, that Apple is, is aware of that. Um, 
but this is a little fast for everybody. And I, I'm concerned that they have set these these expectations because we get a new version of iOS 8 every year. Now we're getting a new version of the Mac operating system every year. I, I mean, I guess I would question, is a new version of the Mac OS necessary every year? I don't think, I, I think if it continues, I don't think they're going to have the same scope of changes in a year-to-year basis. Did well, you, uh, yeah, yeah, but I guess we'll see. I mean, yeah, that that whole series that guided on debug, mm-hmm. and I, I don't even want to try With and pronounce Nathan it. Yeah, thank you. He talked about how, you know, the amount of time they had for an iOS update is a lot less than a year. It's it's four to six months. He says, you know, they come out with a new version. They got to fix the bugs or, you know, the point one update to the last version. So that takes a while. And then they get, you know, a, a limited amount of time between them and WWDC to implement whatever new major features they're going to add. And then they have to debug that and get that out the door. It, it sounds exhausting. So I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. I, I suspect they're going to stay on the yearly update cycle, but I, I think that they're going to be a little more careful about how much they bite off every year. Yeah. They don't have to do like the snow leopard update where they didn't say we're adding no new features. We're just making everything tighter. They could just say we made everything tighter and we added these features and this feature list isn't as long as you got last year. Could be. Because uh, I mean, let's be honest. One of the reasons I, I love iOS eight is my favorite update so far is because they did bite off a lot. They did add extensions and widgets and all this great stuff that I'm taking advantage of every day. I have my text expander keyboard because of it. You know, I've got all these eclipses out now. There's some really great stuff that makes it a more useful operating system to me. I don't want that to go away. Okay. Well, we don't have the answers and we don't even have enough information to, to, to propose the answers, but it's something people are talking about. Well, I think with that, we'll go ahead and wrap this up. Thanks to our smiles, our, our smiles, thanks to Smile and our other <laughs> sponsors for this episode, including 1Password, Linda, and Gazelle. Uh, you can find links to everything that we've talked about in this episode at our website at MacPowerUsers.com or at 5x5.tv slash MPU. You can send us feedback to feedback at MacPowerUsers.com. You can also uh, send feedback on Twitter. Uh, we're at MacPowerUsers. Katie is at Katie Floyd, and I am at Max Sparky. Yeah, and um, you can, well, I think that's it. So we'll see. I think that's it, Katie. <laughs> it is getting late. <laughs> we're both getting punchy. It is getting late. So yeah, I got to go get that horse out of my throat. Okay, yeah, go, get, go get rid of that horse. <laughs> um, you know, but no, there's, there's a song about an old lady who swallowed a cat. Maybe it, Can you maybe imagine that? that? She swallowed a cat. Anyway, she swallowed the dog to catch the cat. She's, I don't remember. No, she swallowed a spider to catch the fly. I don't know why she swallowed the fly. I don't know. But she ended up swallowing a horse at the very end of this song, and she died. So wow. I'm just saying. Now I'm worried. <laughs> I'm just saying. This, this, is a song that, this is a song we used to sing in elementary school. It was, it was a bad song. We shouldn't be singing sounds, that in sounds, elementary school. Sounds really uplifting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, about the old lady who swallowed the fly. I don't well, know at why. least at the end, she died, right? She, she died because she swallowed a horse, and she's dead, of course. So, On that note, we'll see you all next week. <laughs>